0: For those of you who are um joining us for the first time or haven't been with us for a while, uh, we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and part of the reason we're doing this is because the whole purpose of this tr- of the church really is to help put you and guide you and to help you put you, your lives in place certain places where the holy spirit can transform you. And so what does the Holy Spirit want to transform us into? Well, we're going to take a look at that throughout the entire year through the Sermon of the Mount. The attitudes that Jesus wants us to have. The values that Jesus wants us to have. The way to live our lives. The way Jesus wants us to live our lives. We're going to be talking about that this entire year. Because I think that's why you're here. You're here because... God is calling you for a purpose that's larger than yourself. That He has a plan for you that's larger than any of the plans that you have for yourself. And He wants to change you into a person that you can't even imagine that you could become. And today we're going to talk about the area of how do we deal with sin? And I think over the history of the church, I think sin is one of the most misunderstood concepts where especially church leadership has used the concept of sin to beat on their um, parishioners to help them toe the line. And in some cases, even worse, they use sin as a way to, the people sin as a way to control them and to get the people to do things for the church leaders that they wanted them to do. And so the church has tremendously abused um, this whole concept. But also for us believers, I think you know this could be some of the biggest things that we carry. The Bible says that. God wants us to shed all of these things that hinder us in our race as we continue on the race of faith. But sometimes we don't understand and so we carry our sins with us. And God is saying, this is why I died for you. I don't want you to have to live your life with these burdens, right? Yet so many times, I think we are harder on ourselves than God. And sin can be a block for us to grow closer to God. And that's what we're going to talk about. So today, if you have your Bibles, um, can you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4? Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And then he says, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Or really, as we uh, learned earlier, you could replace the word blessed with the word happy. Okay, now when we're talking about happy, once again, we're not talking about um, certain circumstantial um, events in our lives that would naturally make us happy. You know, remember last time when I was talking about happy, I said, I would be happy if the Rams won the Super Bowl. Well, guess what? They didn't. And Grady, take that smirk off your face. Um, And... um, but that was sad, right? And so my happiness was circumstantial based upon the outcome of the game. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. When he says happy, happy is the deep um, contentedness we have or the joy we have when our life is right with God. And so that's what he's talking about here. But once again, once again this is paradoxical. It's like happy are those who mourn. That'd be like saying, calm are those who are agitated. Hmm. Confident are those who are afraid. It doesn't make sense. However, when you take a look at what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, Happy are those who mourn. And when I was younger in my faith, I thought, okay, what this was, what this meant was um, that. Whenever I go through a situation that's difficult, that causes sadness or grief, that I should be happy because God would offer comfort. And so when I was growing up, that's what I thought this verse meant, right? But as I started growing in my faith and understanding exactly what Jesus was trying to do, I realized that that's really not what he was saying here because God will always provide comfort for those who seek him and when Jesus came he was when he was talking about the Sermon on the Mount when he was communicating this sermon he was saying that I am establishing something totally new something that you haven't seen before the old covenant you know that's gone I am ushering something totally new however God's comfort know, had always been there. Whenever, um, is, whenever, you know, the Israelites, you know, went through situations where um, they faced sorrow, God was always there to comfort them. It's nothing new, right? And if you look in your Bibles to Second Corinthians um, 1, Verse uh, Chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort our, we ourselves receive from God. God will always comfort us. God has, throughout history, God has always shown comfort and compassion to people who seek him. So this isn't something new. At least for the Israelites, this wasn't something new. So what is Jesus trying to say here when he's saying, happy are those who mourn? And basically what he was saying here is happy or blessed are those who mourn over their sin. For they will be comforted. For they will be comforted. Now this was something that was totally new. Totally new. Because back then, you've got to remember in the old comfort, covenant, how did they receive forgiveness of sins? They sinned, they went to the temple, and they sacrificed an animal for their sins. Now, there were examples of, you know, Israelites mourning over their sin. But the vast majority of the time is because they were caught and they were punished for their sins. You know, they would worship other idols. They would fail to obey God. So what would God do? God would bring them, God would bring a, a country or a nation to subjugate them, to punish them for their sins. And then they would realize that life under this new nation was very harsh and they would cry out to the Lord to ask for forgiveness and they would mourn over their sin. But it wasn't because Oh, gosh. You know, we did something wrong. It was like, oh, life is miserable. God, forgive us. You know, and then what would God do? God would forgive them, right? And God would restore them, and they'd be blessed again. And then what would Israel do? They'd forget all about that, and they would go worship idols again and do their own thing, and God would bring another nation, and then they would cry out to God mourning over their sin. Well, once again it was just because they were subjugated by another country but what jesus is saying that in his kingdom in his kingdom forgiveness of sins is not a matter of sacrificing an animal forgiveness of sins is a matter of the heart That God is looking into each individual to see their heart. To see how they view um, sin and how it affects their relationship with God. Because, you know, I don't really know how the Jews viewed sin back there. But if it was me, and if I did something wrong, I said, okay, here, all I have to do is go to the temple. Here, here's some money, sacrifice a dove, I'm good. Right? Right? and, and, and i 'm not sure how much i 'd mourn for my sin because it 's like it 's just taken care of all they do is pay for an animal they might, you know they sacrifice that animal i 'm good I could go on to um, do whatever I want, but Jesus is saying no from now on you know god 's going to be looking at your heart it 's your heart condition that matters you know and he 's asking us to mourn because it shows how much we care about God and how much sin hurts God when we don't follow his commands. It's just like our relationships, right? In every relationship we have, whether it was with our friends, with our siblings, with our spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, bosses, whatever, there are certain expectations of behavior that we have of one another, Right? When you get married, husbands, you find out really quick what the expectations are from your spouse on where dirty clothes are supposed to go. Right? It's not supposed to be on the floor where I could just go and I could just pick it up and put it on again as I'm going out the door. Right? And if I loved and cared for my spouse and I knew that was important, what would I do? I'd put the clothes where. It belonged, either in the dresser or in the hamper, right? Doesn't that make sense? Right. If you care about somebody, you would obey what they would want, or you would act in a way that you know um, they would want you to behave, right? But we all know how to push somebody's buttons, right? Right? It's if you're upset at your friend, if you're upset at your spouse, if you're upset at your parents or your kids, what do you do? You know what they expect and you do the exact opposite. Why? Boom. You're pressing their buttons, right? And we all know how to press those buttons to people who are close to us. And we're doing it what? Not to love them. We're doing it to agitate them. You know, that's why we're doing it, right? Pushing buttons is not an act of love. It's an act of selfishness, right? So, you know, if we, you know, love Jesus, if we love God, wouldn't it be natural for us to want to do what God Wants us to do. But when you think about that, God is not just wanting us to do certain things to, you know, make our lives miserable. God created us. He knows the best way for each one of us to live our lives. And he's given you the plan. He, He says, You guys, I created you. I know you. The best way for you to live your life, it's outlined in Scripture. And if you would follow it, you would live the life that I always intended you to live. Why? Because I love you. And I want that for you. However, you know, this is easier said than done. Right? It's easier said than done. Um, if we go to Romans 7. Romans 7. Starting with verse 15. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes. And he says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, who has more theological knowledge in his little pinky than I have in my entire life, right? And here he's perplexed. This is the Apostle Paul, the, uh, the super apostle. He's perplexed. Why? He's perplexed over his life and the way, you know, what, the way he's living out his life in relationship to what, to sin, right? He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do it. Okay? But what I hate, that I do. And if you continue on. He says, and if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. If I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. We all know there's a law against stealing, right? But if I steal and I'm just doing it because maybe um, my family's hungry and they need something to eat and... I go and take something because I really need it or maybe I can't afford uh, a Christmas present for my kids so I steal. You know, I don't like to do it but I, but I do it. And what Paul is saying, he's agreeing that the law is good, that stealing is a bad thing, right? However, um, if you do it and you want to do it and you don't care... What are you saying? Ah, stealing's a—it's a ridiculous law, anyway. <laughs> you know, it's not a good law. If I want it, I'm going to take it. But what Paul is saying here is that, yeah, he's doing things that he doesn't want to do, that were set out by God's law, and he realizes that because of this, God's law is good. God's law is good. I should be obeying it because it's good but I'm having trouble I'm having trouble then he goes on and he says and it is no longer I myself do it who do it but it was sin living inside me now this is important paul is not making an excuse for himself he's not saying okay well the devil made me do it you know that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. But he realizes that, you know, God set up certain laws that without the law, you wouldn't know that there was right or wrong. Meaning, if there was no speed limit on San Gabriel Boulevard, and I happen to be going 90 miles an hour down, going down San Gabriel Boulevard, I'm not doing anything wrong, right? Because there is no law. However, you put a, a signpost up there saying 35 miles an hour, now i know now i know if i go faster than 35 miles an hour there's a good chance i'm gonna get a ticket why because i'm breaking the law whereas before there was no sign no law it's okay now there's a sign whoops there's a law that god has um, put in place and so what what Paul is saying he's not making an excuse but he understands that there are things now that he agrees that are good that the law that God the, the way God wants us to live it's a good way to live our life but there's something inside of him that's keeping him from doing that because he wants to obey God he wants to follow God but there's something else inside him that's keeping him from Doing that, and then let's go on to the next word. First, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me—that is, my, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Apostle Paul is saying, "I want to do good. I want to do good, but I'm having problems carrying it out." And the thing that compels us to do wrong is our sinful nature. And this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about. There's something else inside him that's compelling him to do the things that he doesn't want to do. Each one of us have a sinful nature. And it does not go away the time that we become a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? And so a lot of us struggle with that because we think, well, if I'm a Christian now, aren't I not supposed to sin? What's going on here? How come I'm struggling so much? Well, guess what? The Apostle Paul struggled with sin. And now when the Apostle Paul was writing this, this was not early on in his ministry. This was at the height of his ministry where he wrote this. He understood, you know, about the lifestyle that God lived. He was a mature believer at this time, and yet he still struggled it, struggled with sin. It's still there. You know, over time, Christ transforms us to overcome sin, but our sin nature will still be there. And he goes on to say in verse 19, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, I do this I keep doing. Right, you golfers, you, you you get this, right? You understand this. Meaning, I want to hit the ball that way, but it goes that way. Okay, I do not want to hit the ball that way, but the ball goes that way. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. So, in golfers, next time you go on your outing and you hit the ball and you think it, you want it to go that way, and you goes that way, think of this verse. And contemplate scripture as you're on the golf course. But this is what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. Is the things I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, that I am doing. Then he says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. So Paul's saying that, okay, guys, listen up. There's a principle here that when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It's not like I want to do good and I'm here and evil is way over here. No. What Paul is saying, evil is right there with me. And this is why I tell people, you know, our, our, our goal is not to judge people, especially when they make mistakes. Why? Because each one of us is capable of that. And this is something that we have to understand, that we, could, we should never say, I'm never going to do that. That might happen to so-and-so, so-and-so did that, but it'll never happen to me. Uh-huh. Evil is right there with us. It can happen to us. That's why we always need to be on our guard. We can't let our guard down because we are capable of everything that we might point our finger at um, of, of, of other people. Right? And that's what Paul is saying. And he says... Um, For my inner being, I delight in God's law. My soul says, you know, God's word is good, and I delight in it. You know, God's word is perfect. God's word brings me my soul nourishment. God's word is correct, and I delight in God's word. But, but. I see another law at work in me, waging more war against my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. He says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is Paul mourning over his sin, right? He gets it. He gets that he agrees that God's law is good that the Bible, that the word is good. But he's having, he struggles with doing what he says. And conversely, he actually does what it says that he shouldn't be doing. He's struggling with this. This is what we call mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. And then all of a sudden he goes and he turns to thanksgiving. And then he goes, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but my, in my sinful nature I am a slave to the law of sin. What he does is he takes his focuses off him and he focuses it on God. And that he himself cannot rescue himself from this situation. That is permanent. We will always be struggling with sin. The more mature you get, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be struggling with it. Struggling is permanent. And in this life, when we have victory over sin, You know, it's temporary. It's temporary. The only time when we'll have complete victory over sin is what? In heaven. But while we're in this life, we are going to struggle. If you take a look at the next quote, this is Martin Luther, the father of Protestantism. Protestantism. And he says, the whole Christian life is a life of repentance. You know, and, you know, when I was growing up, I kept thinking, man, why am I struggling with sin so much? I must be a bad Christian. I mean, you know, look at, look at the other saints. They are so much better than me. I go to church, and I look at these people. Man, look at, you know, they're so good. And I'm struggling with sin. I go, what's the matter with me? What's the matter with me? Until I realized that, you know what? Struggling with sin is going to be a part of our journey of faith from now to the time we cross over and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. I used to think I was a bad Christian. I used to think there was something wrong with me. But now I understood, as Paul understood, that I I, I delight in God's word. You know, I want to follow it. But there are so many that sin, you know, gets in the way, gets in the way. But then I always thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross. And I tell people when I see Jesus for the first time in heaven, I'm just going to drop down on my knees and thank him so much for dying for me on the cross, because I know there's no way I could be in heaven without Jesus Christ. And I look forward to that day where I could just fall on my knees before Jesus and thank him, thank him for what he uh, did for me. But like so many of us who beat ourselves up, Paul says, okay, I'm gonna focus on God instead of beating myself uh, so how do we deal with this? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to reorient your view of sin. Reorient your view of sin. And in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, the author writes, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I remo- will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Amen to this verse right here. And this was a prophecy of the coming of the Holy Spirit where basically the Israelites, they had a heart of stone. It was a heart of stubbornness and unresponsiveness to God's decrees. But he says, I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that can respond to me, that is no longer predicated on you going and sacrificing an animal because you could sacrifice an animal and have your heart be far from God, right? All of us have experienced that. We could go through the motions, we could come to church, we could serve, we could be worshiping, but our heart could be far away from God. But this is what he was saying here I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. That's going to be his But he also said, "This is great." He says, "And I will put my spirit in you." Now, remember, in the Old Testament, the spirit came in and indwelled in individuals, certain individuals, but it was it wasn't permanent, right? It wasn't permanent. That the Holy Spirit would come in individuals, and the Holy Spirit would his presence would leave. And this is why David, King David, when he was sin- when he sinned with Bathsheba, he was so afraid that the Holy Spirit would leave him. And he prayed, God, I messed up, but do not take your Holy Spirit from me. It was that important to have David, for David to have the Holy Spirit living inside him. But we live in a different time now. Once the Holy Spirit indwells you, he's, he indwells you permanently. But what he says here, he says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Who's doing the work? You? No, it's the Holy Spirit, right? So as long as you try to take on sin head on, it's not going to work. But the Bible says he's putting the Holy Spirit inside each one of us to move us to following his decree. And now we have that heart of sin that mourns over the sin. They said, God, I hurt you. I'm sorry, you know, i Help me to live the life that you want me to live because I can't do it without your Holy Spirit. But you know what? Mourning over sin, and there's another thing that I came to realize too when I used to think that, oh man, I'm sinning all the time you know, I must be a bad Christian. But then I came to realize that mourning over my sin, that my sin bothered me, that showed that I cared about God. Because if I didn't care about God, it wouldn't bother me at all. Whatever I did that was against God's word, that would have not bothered me at all. But the fact of the matter is I care about my relationship with God. And that's why um, I was mourning. And so once I realized that, that was so freeing for me. That mourning over my sin showed that I cared about my relationship with God. Having a cavalier attitude of sin shows that, hey, we don't care. You know, we don't care. God, I know what your word says. I'm going to do it. I don't care. I can sleep well tonight. Shows that we don't care over our sin. But the problem is that we can quench the spirit so many times that we could develop a seared conscience okay and what's that is that the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin doesn't beat us over the head you know and call us a sinner he comes in in that still small voice and he convicts us Dave you know what you said you hurt you hurt that person or Dave by doing this you showed that you didn't love your wife the way you're supposed to right right But if you keep ignoring that voice, if you keep saying, you know what? I'm going to still do what I want to do. You're going to get a seared conscience. And then I guarantee you, that which bothered you will no longer bother you. In some instances, you could almost justify what you are doing. And say, God, this is why I'm doing it. And it's actually right. That I'm doing this. But I've been there too. Where there are certain things that. Oh. Bothered me about my relationship with God. When I did these things. But through time. Of completely ignoring the Holy Spirit. I grew deaf. To that. And then I couldn't care less. About what I was doing. And it didn't even bother me. That I was doing it. It didn't bother me one bit that I was sinning against God. And so my prayer was, God, please give me my conscience back. Please restore in me a heart of flesh and remove this heart of stone that is so stubborn and is so hardened against your word that I don't even care. And guess what? God replaced my heart of stone. And he gave me that heart of flesh that once again, I cared. Whereas before, I couldn't care less. God will do that. We need to ask God to reorient um, our view of sin. The next thing we have to do um, is ask God to reveal the sins in your life. And this is a prayer that I pray a lot, all the time. It says from Psalm one thirty nine twenty three and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, like we're saying, the more mature I thought I would be in Christ, the less I, I thought I would struggle with sin. But it seemed like the more mature I became, the more I continued to struggle with sin. And that perplexed me a lot. I said, God, if I'm supposed to be mature, if I'm supposed to be the disciple of of your son, why am I sinning so much? Why am I still struggling with sin? And then I realized that God was fine-tuning my conscience, that when I was younger in the faith, you know, it, the sins that I said, okay, don't steal. Don't hurt somebody. Watch your language. You know, those are the sins that, okay, these are big. Don't kill anybody, all right? Those are the big ones. Okay, I'll just concentrate on those, right? And I'm st- but you know what? When I was younger, I really didn't care about poverty and people's lives. It wasn't even on my radar. Homelessness wasn't on my radar. Social justice issues, they weren't on my radar back then. But then as I grow, as I'm growing up, you know, and I, you know, all of a sudden God's revealing these things to me. Dave, you got to care about those who are homeless. God, God, Dave, you need to care about um, giving people, being a blessing to others, to use your resources to help others. Basically, I just saw my resources as a means of me to get what I want, and yeah, I'm gonna give you, God, a portion of that. But as I started growing, he said, all of a sudden, Dave, I didn't give you this, your income, your money, your resources, so you could just squander it on yourself. You know, there are people out there who you could bless with your finances. All of a sudden, those things started to convict me, and they never were a part of my consciousness before. And this is what God's going to do with you. The more you mature, the more you walk with God, he's going to start fine-tuning your conscience. Things that never bothered you because they were just not on your radar, God's going to be putting them on your radar. And then the question is, how do we respond to those things? How do we respond to your, those things? And sometimes I struggled with those, because sometimes I, oh God, I only have so much money. Oh, you know, there's this transformer that I want to buy. <laughs> but how can I buy it if I, you keep wanting me to give my money away, you know? Oh, new, new video gaming system coming out. God, I want that, you know? But then you start struggling with these things. Because if we know what God wants us to do when we don't do it, what? That's sin. If we know that God wants us to use our resources to help somebody else, and we feel that tug inside of us, and we ignore it, well, guess what? That's sin. Right? Remember when I said before there were no mark, there were no speeding signs there? That's not a sin. All of a sudden, God's putting more and more guideposts up there in my life. Why? Because he's using those guideposts to refi- refine me, to mold me into the person he wants, us, wants me to become. And the same thing was with you. So as you mature in your faith, and as you're, you're struggling with these new sins, you should be praising God for that. Why? Because he's fine-tuning your conscience. And if you don't know if there's anything that he that you're doing that you're not supposed to be doing what? Say this prayer. Say this prayer. And God will reveal this. Just don't do it every year because if you do it, it, it's going to be this list that's going to keep coming out. Right? Try to do it as often as you can. And finally, I'm going to close with this. Confess your sins and experience God's immediate forgiveness and comfort. It says, Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Actually, this verse should say, blessed are those who consistently mourn over their sins, for they will be immediately comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. It's in the present tense. That means consistently. It's not just every once in a while. Consistently. But what does he also say? For they will be immediately comforted immediately comforted, right? When John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is why we are happy when we could mourn over our sins because what it's doing is God's putting these signposts. God's fine-tuning our consciousness so we would become more and more like his son Jesus Christ. But when We do sin. God's not there with a bat and whack. You know, that's not the God I, you know, worship. God is the one who immediately, immediately comforts you with your forgiveness. With his forgiveness. And you could just pick yourself up and move on and forget about it. It's kind of like that set it and forget it, you know. Don't carry your past mistakes with you. God doesn't. Um, God forgave you for those. Let it go. He does. He does. The worst thing you could do is keep beating yourself up over, you know, past mistakes. Because God doesn't do that. You know who wants you to do that? The devil. Because if he could keep you focused on your past mistakes, if he could keep you focused on the past, then you're not focusing on the present and where the Holy Spirit wants to guide you, where the Holy Spirit wants you to work, where the Holy Spirit wants to direct you to certain people that he wants you to direct to. So what's our weekly challenge? Our weekly challenge is to read Matthew 5, 4, and Romans 7, 14 to 25 daily, especially you golfers. I want you to memorize Romans, so next time you're on the golf course, this will be the first thing that comes to your mind when you hit a shot that goes not the way you want it to go. Um... Then make Psalm 139, 23 to 24 your prayer every day. Ask God to reveal. Ask God to know your heart. Ask God to test you and to know your anxious thoughts. To see if there's any offensive way in me. Make that your prayer. Make that your prayer and God will. Then every sin that God reveals to you, confess it and experience God's immediate comfort. Okay, don't stew about it. Don't carry it. Let it go. Let it go. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your forgiveness. Father, that you've given each one of us who have chosen to be your disciple a heart of flesh. And then you put your spirit inside each one of us to move us to want to obey and follow your decrees. And Father, we know that obedience to you is a sign of love. For in your word, you say, if you love me, you would obey my commands. And yet, Father, as the Apostle Paul experienced, that is so hard. Because there's deep inside each one of us, Lord, there's this desire to want to serve you. There's a desire that wants to obey you. But Father, there's another part of in our life that wars against that and causes us to disobey you even though we don't want to. So if you're sitting here right now and there's something that happened in your past that you have done that you can't let go, that it's preventing you from hearing the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life. That it's experiencing you from experiencing the joy or the happiness that Jesus is talking about right now. I want you to just lift that up to the Lord right now and ask God to forgive you for that. Admit that you were wrong and ask God to forgive you for that right now. Now if you've asked God to forgive you for it I'm going to ask you to do another thing Let it go Let it go God has forgiven you of it completely He will not bring it back to your face He will not let it be reminded Or to you of the many times you failed He has forgotten about it And so should you It's not to say that we don't learn from it because God wants us to learn from our mistakes. But he definitely doesn't want our mistakes in our past to hinder our present relationship with him. So would you experience God's pleasure? Would you experience God's comfort right now that Jesus promised to all of those who mourn over their sins and for those of you who are harder on yourself than God is right now would you realize that all God's doing is fine tuning your conscience to reveal more and more of the areas in your life that need to be changed so you could become more like Christ that's it he doesn't view you as a bad person And would you realize from this day forward, this is going to be a struggle for you. It's a struggle for me. But in the struggle, it reveals your heart. As you struggle, it reveals a heart that you desire God's word, and you say it's good. So please don't beat yourself up over the struggle. Lord, I thank you that this place could be a place of healing and not a place of guilt. That this is a place where we could release, Father, the mistakes that we made knowing that our sin is always beside us. But Father, as we sin, your grace is always there to pick us up To say that we are forgiven. So we thank you for that. And may we each leave this room as white as snow. And not stained by the marks of sin. Because you, Father, have forgiven us for that. In your son's name we pray, amen.